House of Naco. Good evening and welcome to a very special edition of House of Naco, a live reaction to the Democratic Presidential Debates Part 2. Thank you so much for listening. This is your hostess with the mostest, Naco here. And just like last night, if you had time, hopefully, to listen to Part 1 of our live reactions to the debate, this part two will be basically a continuation. And the group or the cast of characters for this evening was definitely the cast that I was most looking forward to because, pres- <laughs> look at me, or getting ahead of myself, President Bernie Sanders. I said uh, Senator Sanders was to be on the platform and he was the candidate that I was most interested in hearing from since, as I mentioned in the first episode that I had campaigned for Senator Sanders, I was really interested interested to hear if any of his talking points had changed or if he still evoked the same sort of sentiments in me or if I was still in agreement with Uh, the policies that he had proposed and to my not surprise I was impressed with Bernie first of all he looked great Jane has been taking good care of Uncle Bernie okay they've been feeding him all of his omega-3s and he has been moisturizing from head to toe because he actually, my husband even mentioned it, that Bernie looks a little younger and he did. So they have been preserved. He's probably sleeping in an isolation tank who like is taking out all the oxygen and he has to breathe it through something else. Who knows? But whatever you're doing, Bernie, keep it up because you got to preserve yourself because it's a hot mess out there let's just get it started okay uh let's just start with my overall kind of reactions to the debate in general then I have notes on every single uh, candidate that was represented I might not even have time to get to all of them because some of them were just afterthoughts to me like not even worth taking the time to sit and talk about but We'll get to who we get to, the important ones. Let's just say that, the ones that need something mentioned, we will get to. But overall, I just, let's just start with MSNBC. Like, it's just, of course, it's the corporatist news media. So what, I'm not expecting equality. I'm not expecting everyone, you know, they've already monopolized the whole event to give certain candidates more time that have polled higher however they did it they know that they're dooming it to give candidates like uh marion wilson for example hardly got any speaking time christian gillibrand if she wasn't interrupting didn't get a lot of speaking time so there was a hierarchy of who would get time to speak and you know, MSNBC, just like this is, would happen on ABC, it would happen on Fox, it would happen on any of the major corporatist news outlets. They would make sure to, in, from what I saw, very obvious ways to try and divert people's attention from Bernie's message without making it look too overt. 
and trying to be covert about it but in their trying to me it looked very obvious um the biggest example was if you watched the debate after when it finished but they still there's commentary that comes in and kind of after analysis that comes in after and they keep the camera rolling and you see all of the candidates taking pictures taking selfies with people shaking hands and they focused the cameras followed every single candidate but barely followed Bernie at all if you weren't paying attention and just like kind of glancing at the screen you would have thought that Bernie either left or that nobody wants to take a picture with him which is exactly what they the message that they're wanting to put out there because what Bernie's mission is which he's been very consistent in I didn't hear any thing that really diverted from the Senator Sanders that I grew to respect during his first campaign or presidential campaign he was pretty much on target and actually I saw an improved Bernie last uh, cycle around there wasn't as much talk or focus on international policies he did talk about the fact he voted he was one of the lone voices who voted no against the Iraq war we knew that but other international issues that were trending or of importance he wasn't really touching on too much which brought up a criticism of his that as a state senator he doesn't really have you know that many um that much experience on the international realm but this time around I felt like Bernie he mentioned Yemen he also mentioned I know uh, overseas I know they were talking about uh, wars with Iran or possible war with Iran and Bernie spoke about that so I feel like his international scope has become heightened since 2016 so that was good to see and witness um but yeah it's just if you can (laughs) if there's a, a certain melancholy about it or even a certain sadness because it just was so as I mentioned with my Mike Gravel's tweet about political theater sad political theater and it was just a part two a continuation of that it's so I understand rehearsing is a part of any debate whether it's presidential whether you're debating in your high school debate club you prepare and there's a level of memorization and rehearsing but it also has to come across you have to have a fine line of being very rehearsed and very meticulous and embracing humanness, you know, having breaks in your voice, having, you know, pauses when you talk, even though there isn't a lot of time and I know they want to talk fast and loud, but it just became every candidate was using everything that they could, every personal tragedy, every... thing in their lives that they could use to either create points where they're looking for sympathy from the audience or empathy from the audience telling a sad story so that people would you know feel it would stir up some type of emotion just like how Bill de Blasio's using his son Dante even in his election in New York City as mayor he used Dante and his black kids and his black wife as a means to connect with the black community and it works it worked but under the surface like you can have as many mixed children as you want and you know give high fives and play basketball with 
the youth and get photo ops and ride the subway and spend a night in housing. And this is all stuff I'm not making up. This is all stuff de Blasio has done for photo ops and for PR opportunities. But when it comes down to it, this is a, a mayor that has only made improvements and made life better for people like himself and his black children (laughs) and his black wife and his rich friends and that's pretty much it housing is a disaster in the city affordable housing is like that doesn't even exist gentrification is displacing many many new york city long time or lifelong new york city residences are being displaced and have to move from New York. I know definitely I don't have the statistics in front of me, but there has been definite uh, shifts in people moving to the city. They're moving out. And those numbers have risen since de Blasio has been in power. So again, it's nice to have these. I'm not, (laughs) I mean, I'm more like have, it's, not funny I was saying I'm having some fun with you know talking about because it's just so it's embarrassing and it's a little funny that he's Dante 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 all the time to differentiate himself from other candidates and in the end it really isn't something that's funny because to pander to people because you think that they're going to focus on what you're saying rather than like what you're doing is a dangerous thing for those individuals who need their public servant to make decisions and to lead the community for the better and not just for a few. And speaking of a few in the top 10 of 1%, which has been a talking point and a line straight from the Sanders campaign and not just the Sanders campaign this is straight from Bernie's doctrine that he has been saying since he's been in the Senate and probably when he was a mayor as well so all the candidates maybe except for Marion Williamson (laughs) uh, who my father referred to as oh the medium the psychic lady I was like I don't believe she's a medium or a psychic okay he heard the word spiritual and just assigned her a medium she's not a medium uh to my knowledge but she is someone that is spiritual in her closing argument she talked about defeating Donald Trump with love and I thought that that was a powerful thing to say however I believe that she could have Or maybe this is her way of trying to introduce herself to even a larger section of the population because she is very popular in her own right. She has millions of followers. She's like a top New York York Times best-selling author. I know she's written a ton of books. And in her communities, in her circles, she is highly respected. Is she the next president of the United States? I highly doubt it. And I mean, nothing is impossible, of course. But I don't believe she has the... (laughs) This is interesting because the man in office didn't have any foreign or international relations experience at all. But I just feel like with her her lacking that, it's not even that she doesn't have the political experience because we've seen game show hosts and now actors become president and be governors of huge states and not have one day of political office. However, when... We're in we're in different times now and when nuclear 
disarmament, not disarmament, nuclear arms are being talked about on such an intense level. And that's really scary because you're talking about most likely the end of the universe and everything that we know. So that's a really huge deal. And I would want to look to someone among those 300 candidates that has experience in war, who has experienced what war does to countries, what it does to individuals, what it does to families, and someone who has really had an opportunity to examine those political tensions from the inside. And the only person on that stage, the combined stage of last night and tonight, is Tulsi Gabbard. I know including her doing two tours in Iraq, she also has served on like many international, politically international committee, uh, committees, <laughs> committees, committees, and has a wealth of knowledge. She was called a puppet of Assad because she simply wanted to go to Syria and find out what was going on for her own self before she was going to vote either way about sending troops over to Syria. Like this woman is serious. She stays calm and cool and collected under pressure. And she is a fresh new perspective that I believe needs to be at, she's at the senator's level, like she needs to be at a much higher level and have much higher influence. Like that's the type of leadership that is required to, for this country to move forward and for the world to move forward as well. So anyway, that's my plug for Tulsi Gabbard. But getting back to tonight and these candidates, it was another piece of sad political theater to me everyone pandering who was the worst pander (laughs) I think the worst or pander of the night has to go to this representative Eric Solwell I've never heard of him until tonight but the way this man was pound pandering and kissing behind I've never even seen something like that in a debate like he in one of his answers took a moment to deflect from answering the question and to talk about how great and amazing Joe Biden is. And Joe Biden was cheesing from ear to ear because of course he loves a good compliment. Like who doesn't? But he just was so happy that he was being bestowed in this way. So I, and he had these very rehearsed kind of one-line quips Kamala had them too and he just comes off way too rehearsed way too polished and it comes off as way insincere I wrote down one of his ridiculous um, little quips when I'm not changing diapers I'm changing Washington I (laughs) I also wrote next to that major eye rolling like that is just uh (laughs) I just, I can't even hear whatever else you have to say. Like when you come on that hard and that strong with your pander, it's like, I just lose. Nothing else makes sense. So he was completely out of it. Um, We talked about Marion Wilson and basically I think this woman is deep. She wants to get to the core of issues instead of looking at the surface I think she's someone I wrote down. I think she should be a spiritual guide to whoever is the president. But for her to hold that role, I'm not comfortable with that. And like I said, it's a it's a whole new world that we are living in than 2016. So it is imperative for me. And... I feel like this country to have someone at the helm who's actually had political experience on the local, 
on the national and on the global. And like I said, Tulsi Gabbard seems to be the only candidate who can say that they have that wealth of experience, like locally, nationally, and also abroad. But anyway, moving on to the other candidates, I did want to talk a bit about um, Andrew Yang. I'm glad that he mentioned that, oh, our democracy works because I'm here. So he was very happy, happy to be on the stage and thanked the people that helped to get him there, which I thought was great. And I've heard interviews with him before, and I thought that he has a very great business acumen, and because of his success in the business world, that he believes that he could put a business solution to getting this country back on its feet and helping the millions of Americans who just feel fed up and helping them. He has this $1,000 a month. Is it a month? I think so. A month stipend almost for Americans. And he has a way of paying that. And it doesn't even seem like it's that genius of a plan. He mentioned that Amazon doesn't pay taxes. The NFL doesn't pay taxes. Like these million, million, billion dollar companies get all these perks and breaks from the U.S. government and don't have to pay taxes. So if you start taxing companies like that, you're going to start having a whole lot of money to throw around. And instead of putting it in people's pockets for individual gain and advance and advancement, uh, this Andrew Yang is talking about spreading that wealth and helping those Americans that need it most. I like that plan. I think that he knows that he will not be elected president, but however, he's probably even running to get himself some type of position in the cabinet or related to, which is what I feel like most of these candidates are doing who who are not in any way, shape or form top contenders. Now, you can also have some some candidate who is not well known and it doesn't have the clout of other candidates. And I'm thinking of uh, AOC as I'm talking about this. She was the underdog. She was the one that didn't have the backing, financial backing and all of this as her opponent. And she ended up winning because she had the right mission and the right message. So at the end of the day, who can really predict anything? Uh, But again, these are just my initial reactions to the hot mess that was on that stage tonight. So yes, Andrew Yang, like I said, I feel like has a lot of business savvy and good ideas about how to help this country economically. And perhaps he can get himself a good cabinet position. But president, I don't think so. I just, he's not presidential. He's not coming across that way. He comes across as like a numbers guy. A guy that you want to help with interesting and innovative ideas on how he that you can help Americans get to a level where the quality of life, as Marianne Williamson said, and she said she was borrowing from the New Zealand president who said that she wants to make New Zealand a place, a wonderful place to raise a child. And so that should be the goal of the United States instead of it being a place where people are in fear to send their kids to school and to send them down the street that it's a place, a wonderful place to raise children and to drink clean water and to have clean air and all of those things. So, yes. Moving on, 
to Pete Budigig. I really don't know how to pronounce his name. Budigig? Budigig? So many people say it so many different ways. But anyway, I am not a fan. I never was. I don't believe that it's the same critique that I have of de Blasio. I feel like if you're not doing an exemplary job in your public servant position as governor and you're having serious issues with whatever population, they're a part of your they're under your jurisdiction so it is you are accountable and you should do yourself a favor if you haven't already to read even if it is in the corporatist news media you should read some recent articles about Budigigig and his problems in Indiana and basically these problems are people of color do not trust Budigigig because there's so much gun violence there's so much poverty and destruction in these communities of color where and at the same token Budigigig every time he has a mic is talking about basically that he should run this country because he runs South Bend so well and if that were the case then there wouldn't be a significant amount of your population that feels isolated and distant and is feels the ramifications of racism of police brutality it's not a joke I mean I didn't also like that he did get a lot I felt like he got too much time to speak to be honest I don't know where he pulled in the hierarchy but it seemed like he spoke for too long it for my taste and Rachel Maddow gave him a a platform to get applause for being the only person on the debate stage that had served time in the armed forces which I do not remember Rachel Maddow or any of the hosts giving any props to Tulsi Gabbard for serving two tours two tours in Iraq. I don't remember that happening. But of course MSNBC, which is owned by NBC, which is owned by oh, who who knows, but it's one of the top six. One of the major places that most people in the world and definitely in this country get their information from. So of course they're not going to give Bernie Sanders an adequate amount of time. They're not going, they're trying not to let Tulsi Gabbard or anyone who's really coming from a progressive platform. So I, it was just annoying that he was given the chance to have applause and to have that moment of like, yes, I am a brave man because I went to Afghanistan. And I'm not taking that away from him. I'm just saying that Again, to pander to veterans or to pander to those patriotic people who believe in the wars. And actually, you're not patriotic if if you believe in wars. But you know what I'm saying? Like those people who are like, yeah, our our guys over there, we got to support the troops and the troops. Yeah. For him to get that kind of applause and that kind of approval. But... I read an article in The Guardian that stated that there's been eight years of Buttigieg's economic policies that have left people of color behind. Meanwhile, alleged instances of police brutality and subsequent cover-ups or inaction has sowed deep distrust. And a resident of South Bend was quoted in this article saying, if you go over the last eight years, it's all about this. The lack of resources in the African-American community, the alleged police brutality. All of these are symptoms of a larger issue of injustice. So now you're going to hear the cries from the people wanting something to change. 
So this is a big issue. This is not something that you can sweep under the rug. And so I don't even know what he's still sitting up there doing, (laughs) to be honest. He needs to, before you can think, you can come and help fix this nation. You need to fix South Bend. Figure out a way that these people aren't feeling marginalized. Because how on earth, if you can't figure that out, how are you going to move from South Bend to Commander-in-Chief, but a good, 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 shoulda? I don't know how that's going to happen. Anyway, let's moving on to... Okay, former Colorado Governor John Hinkenlooper. What a name, first of all. I... <laughs> I don't have much to say about him because... He mentioned that he was a scientist like 25,000 times. I was like, okay, you get it. You're into the science. You studied science, but you're a doctor of science, like whatever. Okay, what does that have to do with the question for Medicare for all or like climate? Like, what, what do we care about your scientific history and background? Like, answer the question. How are you going to do this? How are you going to do that? And I felt like he wasn't really answering the question. He was really on the attack of socialism. And he, like, seemed to really distrust it. We can't be socialist. We can't be... No socialism. And those people, especially when you have served as a governor or mayor, you know that that this country thanks to FDR, has a plethora of socialist programs that still allow this country to be somewhat great. No, I mean, it is great, but... I mean, we already embrace social... Like, the post office, that's a social... uh, A program or a ramification... Not a ramification, but a... A wonderful um, outcome, that's the word, of socialism, schools, like public high school, social security, those type fire departments, like those are things that aren't privatized. And those are services for everyone, for the common good. Police, like all of this stuff comes from socialism or democratic socialism so to act to have such an aversion to socialism when anybody does have that it's like what do you mean like we already have so many socialist programs and initiatives woven into the fabric of this country on a federal level and on an uh, a national state level as well so I always get so perplexed like why is this so hard for you so he seemed to be really and I wrote down I wouldn't want him to be my professor or the cash register person at Target and most definitely not the president of the United States like he just has this vibe of like that you just wouldn't even want to be he seems like someone that you just would not want to be around (laughs) not want to be around not that he's giving off a scary vibe it's just mean like not really very cold unempathetic individual who I don't even want to say his name anymore so let's not and keep it moving All right, so I can't leave this live recap without talking about Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, I guess. Everyone was so excited about Kamala and put her as the front runner. And I just, (laughs) I'm not seeing that. Oh, before I talk about Kamala and Joe, let me just finish up with um Gillibrand like I think I did talk about her enough like I did say I liked her moxie I liked her even though she did interrupt a lot but she wasn't given the time frame that the other candidates were given so it was nice to see her 
you know, fight for her time. And I almost wish that Tulsi Gabbard had done a little bit of that. And I think it would have been good if she could have put a little bit of moxie, like Gillibrand. But the same critique I had of de Blasio, I have a Gillibrand as well. I don't see what policies, what laws, what initiatives, what referendums that she has put forward that have helped the people of New York City or New York State. And as with her and with all the candidates, I want to hear that this talk and telling stories about a mother and a son walking a thousand miles and a mother who paid a coyote. That is what I thought I heard Kamala Harris say. And actually I had the subtitles on because I usually do for when I'm doing any sort of type of research. Actually, the captions are on all the time because it just helps. So many people talk fast. They slur their words. You're like, what? So I had the uh, captions on and it said coyote too. She said something about a woman and her child in the desert paying a (laughs) coyote. (laughs) A coyote walked up and took some money and buried it in its fur. I don't know what she was talking about. But she's a good storyteller and a good orator. She's a prosecutor and a lawyer. Lawyers are great storytellers. Obama was a lawyer too. Lawyers have to be great speakers. Obama was a great speaker. Kamala is a great speaker. I Well, I'm done with the stories. I'm done with... And the American people clearly are done with it because... Trump wasn't telling no stories. Trump wasn't giving you some oration that could have been... Is that even a word? Oration? But he wasn't some <laughs> master orator like uh, um, Obama or even Clinton or any other president that gave great speeches. And We're sick of the speeches. We're sick of the sound bites and the one-liners and all the rehearsed stuff. Like, put your money where your mouth is. Show me your record. And if your record isn't matching up with the great things that you're saying, like it's great that you all are stealing Bernie's talking points that he's had since he has been a senator in Vermont, which is a long time, many, many years of saying the same thing over again. Now you all are talking about the top 10 of 1%, like each and every candidate last night and tonight was talking like they've been talking Bernie's talk since they became political and that could be farther from the truth which is why Bernie to me was the MVP for this evening Tulsi was last night's MVP and tonight it was Bernie for me Kamala like I said is an excellent orator great storyteller besides that whole coyote thing (laughs) and you know she's attractive nice to look at all all those things that superficial things that people like however we like that for entertainment for our entertainers for the actors out there in movies but for real life I don't need a good storyteller like I was saying before we need someone who's had a record and a history of accomplishments for people across the board and not just for one we don't need someone who's just working for african americans or working for gay people or working for this for all americans even the top 10 of one percent like yes financially you know they might be set but they still need the guidance of true leadership there's still people who live in our government under our government in our in our communities and we have to learn that we are all connected i'm sounding a little bit like marion williamson but we are i mean i'm i'm not sounding like her. this is just truth we that we are all connected and that we have to find a way to make the country work 
and the system work for everyone because when it does we are a stronger society we are a stronger people and right now in the united states we are the threat that's coming from china you know you'll try to demonize these chinese but if you listen to the interview with mike gravel and jimmy door you can go on jimmy door's website and find all of his latest posts you do yourself a favor and listen to that whole entire interview he breaks down what's really going on with china why really this government is afraid of china and gave some real concrete steps about what we can do and what we should be doing so that we're working with them and that we are making strides for our we're looking at what can the US be doing to be not making the world a better place for or it a better place for people within the United States but also abroad like what can we do and that's what Senator Gravel was explaining that China is trying to do and the US because they aren't doing that and putting all of their money into defense most specifically nuclear defense and what a waste of money and time and just so much that is is because these are weapons that cannot be used he gave some ridiculous number about how many nuclear warheads that the united states has in comparison to the rest of the world like we are nuked up okay but he's like, it doesn't matter if you have 400 nukes or 500 nukes or whatever, because one nuke could possibly destroy the whole world, but definitely two. It would produce something that they call a nuclear winter, which sounds <laughs> absolutely like a nightmare. Like, it's not even a nightmare because you wake up from one. From what they're describing this winter is, it, like, burns out the sun and the world does not exist is how we know it. Now, somehow, these people who, people like Bolton and people like Mike Pompeo, who seem to be obsessed with nuclear arms, they must have some type of bunker that they have worked on that they think can survive a nuclear winter. So that's why they're like, well, I know I'm set and I know you're set and all of our top 10 of one percenters are set and that's all we care about. Which in the end, you might think that that's a good idea, but you will always fail when with those types of concepts. Like number one, because it seems like you've created these nuclear warheads to destroy everything, like everything in its path. They seem so destructive. And so so to put all of our money in that when really the whole kit and caboodle can just go up literally in flames with one nuke one country setting it off to point wherever. You know, like, what are we really doing? Like, let's get down to the basics and the brass tacks and the meat of it all that we all want to live. Like, nobody wants that as a future. Well, maybe these war-obsessed people, like, actually get off on that type of eminent doom. But most people who love life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness and all of that do not want some type of end like that and we want to live in a world where the climate isn't going crazy and the water isn't all polluted and we want a chance to have a a healthy happy decent life and that is truly like what this country was built on life liberty and the pursuit of happiness and focusing on the people before profit and that's what we need to get back to to actually make this country great i don't know about again but to actually make it great and like the spiritual medium marion williamson said to be like what new zealand wants to be which is a great place for children to grow up 
a great place where they can have a real chance at life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So, yes, this was another... There, The issues could have been a lot deeper and a lot more to the core, but again, this was another episode of Political Pander Sad Theater, starring Kristen Gillibrand, Kamala Harris, Michael F. Bennett. Oh, yeah. Michael F. Bennett, Senator, or is he a former senator? I don't know. Colorado? He lost me when he said biggest threat to the U.S. is Russia. De Blasio mentioned this last night, too, that he believes the biggest threat. Like, what's your biggest? What's the biggest threat to the United States? And they were asking each candidate and de Blasio was like, Russia, Russia gate, they're hacking. Uh, Michael Bennett talked about Russia today. Even Andrew. uh, What's his name? Is it Young? Yes. Yang. I didn't want to say Yang when it was young. But yes, it is Andrew Yang. And he talked about Russiagate again as well. I was like, where were you when this has been debunked? Like, it seems like months ago now. Like, there's no Russiagate. So I don't even know why you're bringing that up. And that's not the greatest threat to this country. Okay. My goodness. So I just feel like this Bennett dude seemed to be really out of touch. I wrote that he seems like he's on some type of medication or something. Like when they were asking him a question, he's like, oh, is that for me? Is that for me? She's like, I'm looking right at you. And I said your name. Like, how are you not here right now? It seemed like he was somewhere else. He seems very detached. And also it seemed like his mouth is too small for his face. So it was really very hard to concentrate on what he was saying because I was just looking at the fact that it seems like it's hard for him to talk and I'm not even trying to be you know facetious or anything that's just what it looked like from here so to me I can't take him seriously not because of his mouth being small but because of the nonsense he was talking he's trying to talk about his refugee like experiences grandmother who came on the boat from Ellis no I think he had some holocaust story to tell it wasn't compelling to me enough for me to look past everything else another point about Kamala Harris is that she also seemed very very rehearsed like over the top and you know, having I could just imagine her staff writing these one-liners and having her memorize them. And if they say this, you can use this one-liner. And if they say this, you can use this one-liner. So she had a lot of zingers already lined up in her pocket, which people can say is a good debate move. But I just, it's more pandering. And I was telling my husband earlier about when when Kamala was on The Breakfast Club, which is, for those who don't know, a popular radio show with several hosts in the morning. And the issue of... She was on the show. She's obviously trying to connect with the audience of that show, which is... It's an urban show, urban market. So then the issue of and of course they talked about what they would talk about on the show so the issue of weed came up and Kamala was insinuating that of course she does smoke it or she's down with it because she's Jamaican and then her father who is like a pretty well-known professor in his field who teaches at Princeton I believe or one of the Ivies got wind that his daughter was talking about their Jamaican heritage and weed and just got so angry and wrote some article that either he self-published or somebody in the media sniffed it out and re and published his 
story or his thoughts on how wrong his daughter was to say that and that's not how Jamaicans act and you can't play on the stereotype and he was pretty deep and deeply hurt that she would make those assumptions but she only did that or not assumptions assertions but she only did that because she's trying to pander to that demographic and will say anything basically even if it's not true I believe her father was alluding to the fact that that's not true with him and that's not true with her either so I just see her as a big panderer (laughs) I really do and like I said and a great storyteller but we're not in this for stories and this for action so let's end things on Joe Biden (laughs) I, I, I've never been a fan of Vice President Biden and nothing really has changed. I think that it was weak sauce for them to not ask him about sexual harassment and, you know, maybe you don't have to specifically say and bring up the recent allegations against him, but just ask him questions about sexual assault and those things and to see what his reaction would be. The fact that he didn't get any questions about that since, and he's been in the news and been accused by not one, not two, but several women about inappropriate and disrespectful behavior. And they didn't ask him about that. They gave him a lot of softball questions, softball (laughs) or soft questions and he was able to talk about the car accident that took the lives of his wife and I believe some other children that were in the car. There was a terrible accident and I know the wife was killed and maybe like one or two of his children. No, I think the wife and both the children were killed. And then he married again and then had children's children, (laughs) children's children with uh, Jill Biden, I believe her name is. So he brought up that that story when he's talking about health care. And then he also, of course, brought up his son that served time in war and then came back with a deadly disease and died and used that as a platform to talk about health care. But he's just, he didn't really talk about health care. I mean, he says some talking points to try and get some applause and then uses these sad stories in the beginning, hoping to get your attention and your empathy. And then that will translate into your vote. But like I said, they're going to have to dig deeper, dig deeper than that than a good story and some talking points people want to know people are really frustrated so I don't think Joe Biden was make making the cut at all I also feel like Joe Biden is out of touch and it's not about his age because we have Bernie Sanders and Mike Gravel who are old older than old yes and their thinking is still with the now and most importantly with the future and how to improve that and Joe Biden to me just seems like he's from another time another era and we need someone who's thinking differently and who's going to go deeper and I don't believe the polls that say that he is the front runner today. I even heard an MSNBC uh, goon, that's the only word I can think of, who talks about, what is his name, Steve Kernacki, who was giving, by the way, all the wrong predictions for the last election telling us that oh here when I touch my screen I'm going to show you all of this evidence that says that Hillary is in the top and she's going to beat Trump 
so I don't see why I should listen to him again, but he was talking about that Biden is polling so high with minorities and with blacks and with black women, especially. I was like, what poll? What poll? I want to see it. I'm not buying that. Like, why would he if why would he be polling high? Like, what has Joe Biden really done? We heard tonight again that he voted for the Iraq war. We heard again tonight that he was against busing in schools and trying to give African-Americans a chance to have a equal access to education. And he didn't even know how to answer that when Kamala Harris put his feet to the fire, so to speak. So it's like next, I... (laughs) He cannot beat Donald Trump. There is no way. These polls that are putting him at the front, I just do not believe them. And if they choose him as the nominee, just like they chose Hillary and it was a mistake when Bernie was the one that the people wanted, it blew up in their face. So I hope they're not going to do the same thing again because Biden, it's just not happening. It just isn't happening and one more thing before we close I just thought that it was crazy and it still is crazy when the question of healthcare comes up and of course Bernie's going to talk about his Medicare for all and of course they're all going to act like oh we love the idea but 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 single payer, um, but, but, but we don't want to kick people off private insurance, but, but, but. And I just don't understand what they need to come up with some better questioning because if your common sense should just come in there at that point and ask yourself how other industrialized countries have a system that everyone is covered and they have figured out how to do it and it's a successful program and when you look at the health rates of people in those countries versus people in this country it will show you clearly that those other industrialized countries that their people not only are happier they're healthier and that's what you would think we'd want to strive to. So we should first be gleaning from all of the other countries that are doing this and doing it successfully and figure out how that can work in the United States. Canada is your neighbor right next door and they're successful at it. So look at what they're doing and seeing what you can't compare, obviously, Canada to the United States. They're different countries. I know that is, but we can learn from successes in other countries, no matter how many people are, oh, they don't have the same numbers people as we do. We're a bigger country. Yes, that might be true, but it doesn't mean that you can't learn from their systems and learn how to implement it in your own system and just expand it or reduce it or do whatever you have to do to make it fit for you and your people. And that's it. But the question that was coming from, I believe it was Lester Holden. How, how are we going to, how, how are we going to put how, how, like that's how it was. And he was directed towards Bernie to try and trip him up. And Bernie's like, what, what are you getting all your panties in a bunch for like calm down Lester like we can do this because there are so many countries that are doing this and doing this well so why can't we learn from them case closed so anyway folks I mean there are so many topics and subtopics that that come up when talking about this debate So it can go on and on and on. But these were just some of the highlights and lots of lowlights on my general thoughts on the debates overall and tried to give as much individual attention to the people standing up there as possible. I believe I touched on everyone. And if I didn't, 
that means that you weren't important. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, we will definitely be following these debates and having more of these live reaction shows. So stay tuned. And thank you so much for listening. House of Nacko.